is the correct 49ers running back to start on Sunday? Which AFC South receiver may be on the verge of going on a season-ending scoring tear? And should you start banking on Jimmy Graham as a solid FFPC star in Week 10? Plus, John Tenley, an owner of four top 100 teams in the FFPC main event, including second place overall, drops by the show to talk about Alan Lazard's impending return to fantasy lineups, LaMichael Pirine's new featured role for the Jets, and much more. We've got a great show for you. Farrell Elliott is here. I'm Eric Balkman. Stick around. Your high-stakes fantasy football hour starts now. I can't stand the pressure. I've seen greater men than Broadcast live and heard around the world, you are now listening to the most entertaining hour of radio on the planet. Welcome to the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour, presented by MyFFPC.com, with your hosts, Eric Balkman and Farrell Elliott. The High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour is your home for analysis from the best players in the world. And now, because no one else was available, here's Eric Balkman and Farrell Elliott. at quiethollers.com. Greetings and salutations to all the Balkaholics and Ferreliacs listening to this week's episode. Welcome in. It's the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour, and it is presented by myffpc.com. I am, of course, your slightly above-average host, Eric Balkman. My co-host is the definitive commissioner of fantasy football, Farrell Elliott. Coming up on tonight's show, we're going to talk about Michael Pittman's big game from Thursday night, whether J.D. McKissick is a slam dunk start in week 10. And John Tenley is going to join us to talk about Justin Jefferson's big rookie season and how he's managed four teams into the top 100 in the FFPC main event and much, much more. Uh, as I bring in Farrell right now, sad news uh, today around the NFL as longtime um, Green Bay Packer great, Notre Dame legend, uh, Paul Horning passed away. Uh, today, Farrell, and I and I know you and I talked about this very briefly. We wanted to lead off the show and, and talk a little Paul Hornick. Oh, thanks, Bucky. You know, it's been a, a difficult year. There's the understatement of the year right there. But every time that I look at the scroll across the bottom, I see another familiar name, and, and a lot of them in the football industry that I knew, and some of them that I rooted for as a kid, baseball players, Losing these guys in their 80s, and I, you know, we're going to have to get used to it, and I'm going to have to get used to it, but this one stings, uh, you know, and I, I knew we couldn't keep Paul forever, and, and God bless him, we, we've got some wonderful stories, wonderful stories to tell. It's just another link from Louisville, where, uh, you know, Paul made his home to uh, the Appleton area and the Green Bay area. Just another thing linking us together, Balky. You got some, you got some good stories with Paul? I have one good Paul Horning story, and it's not one that, that I was present for, um, but my, my local, it's, it's a really good one, and we're actually going to tell it on my local uh, sports talk show um, that we do in the afternoons. We're going to tell it on Monday when we resume, but my co-host, Leo Kuyper Jr., uh, was at uh, Cleo's Brown Beam Tavern in Appleton. It was a Saturday afternoon, um, and uh, Cleo's is one of the more famous bars in, in Appleton, Wisconsin, right on, mm-hmm. on College Avenue during the, the main drag there, uh, where you've been for Mile of Music, obviously. Um, and uh, he was in there with his buddy Nico. Now, Nico's a bit of a troublemaker, um, and <laughs> uh, he often finds himself in, 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 you know, sticky situations find him. We'll just say that. Um, in any event, uh, they were just throwing a couple of beers back on a Saturday afternoon. Who walks in? Paul Horning. And Max McGee, the the famous oh. uh, Packers receiver, Super Bowl hero, and they come in and they were doing I, I don't know if it was some sort of charity event or a charity golf outing, and they just came in there uh, after it was done to have a couple of drinks and relax. Well, uh, Leo is is a, a big Packers fan. He immediately strikes up a conversation with Max McGee, who I believe was um, uh, the color analyst for the Packers radio network at this time. So he was. 
he was he's still very much involved with the team. But Leo's talked to him about the Super Bowl years, Lombardi and the sixties and everything like that, and he's having a great old time. Well, Nico's kind of bouncing around the bar. He's trying to talk to Horning and, and he wants an autograph from Paul Horning and Paul Horning mm-hmm. just keeps, you know, waking him off saying, No, no, I'm not doing any autographs. Well then um two uh, lovely young women walk in. Obviously several, several years younger than Paul Horning. And uh, he sees an opportunity. So he starts, he moves over to them. He starts flirting with them, talking with them, having a good time. But Nico doesn't give up. He still is asking uh, Horning, you know, for an autograph. And, and uh, you know, Horning is brushing away. No, no, I'm not going to. And at a certain point, you know, you could kind of tell that Nico is bothering Horning so much that the, the girls were feeling uncomfortable. Um, so uh, Paul says, uh, Paul Horning says to, to Nico, whose real name is Steve, Nico is his nickname. He says to Nico, he's like, all right, just give me something to write on. So Nico gives him a pen and a cocktail napkin that was at the bar. And he said, what's your name? And uh, he said, well, my name's Steve. And so Paul uh, at this time was pretty inebriated. And I guess he, he had to, <laughs> um, he was holding, he would, his eyes were just inches away from this cocktail napkin so he could, you know, see what he was writing on there. And then uh, he gets done and he, and he, he, he gives, uh, he gives the napkin to, to Nico and Nico says, um, uh, he's like, Oh, thanks Paul. And then he reads it. And on the cocktail napkin, uh, Paul Horning wrote, dear Steve F you. And that was the autograph that he gave uh, to Nico. And then Nico wrinkles it up, throws it back at Horning and said, oh, you're a, you were a lousy ball player anyway. And at this point, Horning oh. is done. He snaps and he goes after Nico. And Nico and him are, are holding each other, pushing each other. And uh, my buddy Leo a, at the other end of the bar with Max McGee, uh, Max, stopped, Max is telling a story and he's got to stop mid-sentence because he looks at the end of the bar and he sees Paul Horning wrestling around with this guy in Appleton in this bar. And McGee says, you know, in his best Southern draw, like, well, now what in the hell has Horner gotten into now? And then he had to go down there along with my buddy Leo, broke the whole thing up. But to me, that is, you know, there's a lot of great Paul Horning stories out there. And obviously he was, he was big in Northeast Wisconsin being, you know, a Packers legend. But that is uh-huh. my all-time favorite one, um, uh, you know, hearing, hearing that one. You know, he, he was the golden boy, uh, Farrell, uh, it was, from Louisville, it, it, passed away in Louisville, too. It, it, and that's a perfect Max McGee story. And, you know, he lives, he lived about, um, oh, about four blocks from me here, here in Louisville. And I had never met him. And, you know, being in the football business, I, I was always looking forward to the day when I would finally meet him. And I decided, uh, I started a long string where I've had the pleasure of being joined by uh, Dave Gerzak and Drew Maselli and, and my buddy Fenton. They would all join me, and Fenton's been there since the first one. Over the last 20 years, we've gone to Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. And I'm uh, so this is year one of going to Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. And I look up, um, boarding on Southwest Airlines, here comes Paul Horning and his wife. And, uh, you know, open seating, so he's looking for a place to sit. And I said... Uh, Paul, why don't you sit here? You got more leg room. And now he's a big guy, as you as, as you know. You look at him as a player and playing amongst those those piles of granite, which were the were the Packers of Forrest Gregg and those guys. Horning looks smaller, but he's a big guy, six two, two twenty. And uh, you know, he sat down. And so when the flight got up and we ordered some drinks, you know, I told him that uh, I introduced myself. Told him I was in the business. Told him about some people that that I knew well, that I knew that, uh, you know, he was acquainted with. And we talked for the rest of the trip and uh, really built a nice friendship. I would see him. There's a place here called Shady Lane Cafe. And he'd go in there about three mornings a week and have breakfast. And I could always catch him in there from time. He'd say, sit down and tell me what you're doing. And, you know, we would just we'd just talk before you know it, an hour and a half would pass. And uh, <laughs> as he as he aged, as he got a little older, uh, I realized he wasn't getting out much because he didn't have anyone to, you know, his, his driving was a little bit questionable for him and things. And uh, he would never want anyone to know that. So uh, a buddy of mine, uh, McNeil Peterson, uh, I said, McNeil, why don't, you, why don't you drive Paul around where he needs to go? So those two would often be, uh, Paul would often be riding shotgun with McNeil. And I... I can't imagine that. 
I picture him riding shotgun with Max tonight because, you know, Max left us first and, and that was tough on him. You know, that was, that was really, really tough on him. So but those two guys are uh, reunited and hijinks, I'm sure. Kind of like you and I'll be when we get back together for the uh, KFFSC next year, Paul. Yeah, I can't wait for that. I, I, uh, I, I did uh, enjoy it this year. And, you know, I always say it's, it's, it's one of my favorite times of the year, maybe my favorite time of the year when I actually get to, Go out and draft teams. It's 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 so much fun. Um, well, and maybe the one of these years, one of those teams will be successful. <laughs> I think the listeners should know that you are very very successful, and you come, you know, you make the trip, you get out of the car. It's a long trip. You talk football the whole way. Then you have your podcast. You have your Friday night this podcast uh, live from the KFFC, and then uh, sotten with bourbon, like you and some of the fellows from <laughs> Wisconsin may well be. You go out and immediately the auction, which I think is one of our tougher leagues, you you are a uh, regular champion of that league. So listeners should know you've uh, you've got a lot of uh, uh, trophies uh, that we award uh, on your shelf. One of them, I think, might even be for the Paul Horning Division, one of our Saturday morning divisions. So, you know, continued success. Be, yeah. I know it. And, well, We're getting into so double-digit weeks. We, I'll, I'll be quiet and let you take over because this is the magic time. We're going to make some things happen for people that are listening to the show. Yeah, start sits uh, are, are as important as they have been all season. We're going to try to help you get them right. Don't forget, if you are looking for some more analysis from another high-stakes player, we had Clay Corker on on the high-stakes uh, lowdown this week. You can check that out, rotaviz.com slash podcast. Of course, Clay's claim to fame is in 2017 – he ended up um, uh, auto drafting his team uh, on a night when he was he was he had a I wouldn't call it a family emergency. He tells a story on the podcast, but he couldn't make the draft and uh, auto drafted his whole team. Uh, that team uh, he babied it, he managed it, and he got it all the way up going into the final week of the season. It was in first place in the Football Guys Players Championship overall. Uh, had some unfortunate uh, things happen to him in in week 16, and he fell. But he still did take an auto-drafted team to sixth place overall. He tells that story. Rotoviz.com slash podcast. A lot of good fantasy analysis on there as well. Thanks to Football Guys, Draft Sharks, Roto World, and Rob for tonight's Fantasy Flash. Let's kick it off. David Johnson uh, did not practice today, Farrell. He is listed as out for Sunday's game for the Texans. This is according to Aaron Wilson on Twitter. Uh, Last week, Duke Johnson came in. Uh, handled 52 out of 64 offensive snaps and all the backfield touches after David Johnson left the game. The Cleveland Browns have uh, allowed 3.83 yards per carry to opposing running backs so far in 2020. And Farrell, in, in, in Football Guys Leagues, FFPC main event, Kentucky, I mean, whatever it is, you've got to find a way to get Duke Johnson in your lineup. He's a slam dunk start to me this week. Balky, I think you are going down the wrong road here. Duke Johnson... Who did they play last week? Jacksonville? The, the, the uh, field curtain of correct, defense. Yeah. The Jacksonville <laughs> Jags. The, the uh, Duke uh, was on the field for all those snaps. They gave him the ball 16 times, and he gained 2.6 yards per carry. When we were in Las Vegas, you know, Houston kicked off the season. And they were on Thursday night television. It was just so fabulous season some great football on, on television. I sit there and I said, wow, is that Duke Johnson? He really looks like he's slow to step. He really, you know, he's always been a bowling ball body, so he's never going to pass the eye test particularly with you. But this was just one player that I thought somewhat the game had passed by. He didn't have a preseason to prove it. I think he's proven it during the season. I think there's better options out there, and I think there'll probably be better options for the Houston Texans, perhaps. Maybe they'll go zero yeah. running back. Yeah, yes. Well, you know, and the other thing, too, is, you know, Brandon Cooks really came on last week. Well, he's been coming on uh, quite a bit this season. Will Fuller's obviously mm-hmm. dominated, as, as I'm sure Two Packer will remind me in the chat room here um, shortly to let him know or let me know that Will Fuller's still available in one of the private dynasty leagues that, uh, that we are in together, as he's been trying to trade him to me for forever. Um, so I'm more bullish on Duke Johnson. Uh, the commission definitely is not. Uh, there could be some better options, like you said, out there. Uh, maybe we'll get into some of those options coming up. We have John Tenley coming up in just a minute or two here, uh, owner of the second-place team in the FFPC main event, four teams in the top 100. Before we get to him, uh, Matt Mayoko from NBC Sports said that Jarek McKinnon is actually going to get a lot of work this week against the Saints. Now, you, you remember the reports we were getting, 
ah, man, I'm trying to remember when this was, like week five, week six, they said that Jarek McKinnon had tired legs. Now, I don't know if that's – he's not necessarily an old man, but he's, he's had his share of injuries, and you wonder <laughs> if that takes a toll on the legs uh, after a while. Um, but, you know, uh, the Niners um, are going to be featuring McKinnon on Sunday if Mayoko, who is as plugged into the organization as anybody, is to be believed. Um, what's interesting about this, Farrell, is the Saints and Niners actually uh, had a trade of linebackers a couple of weeks ago, and um, yeah. uh, Quan Alexander used to be a teammate of Jarek McKinnon. Now he could be covering him uh, in this game uh, when uh, San Francisco and New Orleans um, take on. I'll say this. Um, as much as I love Duke Johnson this week, I would say Jarek McKinnon's actually a better start than Johnson, one of those players that you had mentioned that, that is a better option. You're climbing the ladder, Balky, because now, you know, the competition here is rough. Uh, New Orleans Saints, 89, 89 yards a game. This is a steel wall. Uh, you know, the, the players, the, our friends in the desert have installed players over and under, and, and many players, I think Josh Jacobs, 17 yards against the New Orleans Saints. McKinnon's going to catch the ball, and he'll probably catch some three and 15, uh, third and 15s, and Tournament of third and six. I don't think this is a very successful game for the Niners, and I, I don't feel that uh, I don't I don't feel that any Niner back, especially one named Hasty, is going to be successful here. And McKinnon will you know will be a ten twelve point game, and if that's what you're looking for and can be happy with it, um, then then do so. You know the real risk, the big plays the Saints give up are in the in the passing game. One of the reasons I hung on to Garoppolo all year hoping he could get healthy before I let him go. You know, that's where that's where they are vulnerable unless uh accepting your name is Brady. So I, I don't know how McKinnon fits into that to chase position for the Niners in this game and um yeah. Uh, McKinnon. Okay. Ten or twelve points maybe both. All right. Well, okay. So again, uh, I am I am drinking the uh, the backup running back Kool Aid this week for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Farrell is mm-hmm. saying no, thank you. I'm going to stick to my bourbon, which I get. Um, I will. Uh, I'll tell you this too. Um, it's something to keep in mind. There are a, um, uh, some some missing running backs this week. You know, no Clyde edwards helaire right. no Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott is is gone. Todd Gurley, they're all on by. Not to mention the injuries. So. You may have to get a little bit desperate. Maybe 10 or 12 points is good enough uh, for some people who, like Hudson Reeve, who's in the chat room tonight, um, talking about the, the running back issues he has this week. I have them too, man. And uh, it, it's always a struggle, but we always try to help each other out as, as high-stakes players, and we're going to bring on our guest, who is hopefully going to help out our listeners tonight. want to bring him aboard right now, ladies and gentlemen, and introduce him. He's played fantasy football now for the past decade and a half. In recent years, he's added more leagues to his menu. 2020 alone, he's in on more than 200 best ball drafts, as well as three dozen managed leagues. He sits in second place overall right now in the main event and has three more teams in the top 100 of the contest as we head into Week 10. Please welcome onto the show, John Tenley. John, good evening to you. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on. We're doing excellent. We're we're uh, we're loving that. You know, it's it's awesome tonight because not only do we have the second place uh, team in the FFPC main event on these on these airways right now, the first place team in the FFPC main event, Henry Mudo, is in the chat room right now too. So we got the we got the the, the two uh, you know the, the top two kings of that uh, of that division hanging out with us on the high stakes fantasy football hour tonight. It's why it's the HSFF hour. We bring the best talent on here, and that includes Mr. John Tenley. John. Um, four top 100 teams in the main event right now as you try to play for this half-million-dollar grand, uh, grand prize, second-place team overall. What, what do you think has been the difference this year for, to, to have so many teams with, with serious chances, really, to, to take down this $500,000? Well, I'm not entirely sure. I think it's mainly hitting on some of the mid-round running backs, uh, excuse me, mid-round receivers like uh, McLaren or Metcalf or Diggs. Those seem to be the main difference makers on some of the teams that are doing well. John, you know, by the way, we should ask, uh, go uh, right to the chat room right now. Is I believe it was Hudson Reeves said, oh, yeah, he wants to know if Jacoby Myers is real or pyrite. Uh, I enjoyed Jacoby Myers in my lineups uh, the last couple, well, the last week in, in probably two or three leagues. It was great. 
Um, I, I'm leaning towards um, that he's real, given Cam Newton's connection with him. I don't know if you own him anywhere or how you feel about uh, Jacoby Myers uh, going forward. I like him. I don't have a lot of him. I needed a lot of bench spots for buys last week and even the week before I was thinking of grabbing him. But uh, he looked good, against the, obviously, against the Jets. So um, <laughs> I, I wish I had more, but uh, I, I think he'll be pretty decent. John, you know, Balky, uh, his, his all night wanted to talk about running backs, and, and he should because all of us are scrambling to get the running backs. I'd like to know more about the running backs that you've assembled and where you got them. But one of the big things that I have, it's always a a challenge for me to figure out uh, what I want to do with all of these second string backs or handcuff backs. And, you know, I think about – I think about Mike Davis when he was cut from the Chicago Bears. Mike Davis was – claimed by the Carolina Panthers, obviously, and that general manager caught a lot of hell for claiming a $3 million contract for the Chicago Bears. And just like uh, just like Carolina, if you were a fantasy uh, player in the FFPC, you had to pay dearly to get Mike Davis. But you also had a chance to draft him along with guys like Boston Scott and Geo and Wayne Gallman and Pollard. How did you approach these guys? And, and are you relying on any of them now to help deliver uh, continued success for your four teams, which is such an accomplishment. It blows me away. Congratulations on that. Well, thanks. Um, I have a lot of shares of uh, Geo and Boston Scott. I, I, I put an immense value on them, probably too much. I was anticipating uh, quite a few of the backups that have a lot of standalone value, like Boston, Geo, Latavius, even Chase, Pollard, and Madison. I was thinking they'd all have a lot of standalone spot start value, as well as league-winning upside if there's injuries ahead of them. But they, they just haven't had the uh, spot start value that I was hoping. But obviously, uh, Geo and Boston's got, have, got in a lot of games so far. What did you pay in draft yeah, for those guys? Say it again. What, what did you What did you pay in draft round for those guys, Bernard and Scott and those guys? Where did you, where'd you take them? I, I think the Geo I got in round eighteen or somewhere oh. somewhere between fifteen and eighteen. I was trying to take him, but Boston Scott I paid up a lot for ninth to eleventh. I really like him. I thought he was going to be Darren Sproles this year, but he it, it hasn't he hasn't gotten the volume and outside of the games that he's been the uh, the lead back. And Bernard's uh, probably going to get another opportunity this week. I, I uh, You know, it, it's so bizarre to me to round 18, and you're talking about football guys dress and FIPC main events and, and why people let a, a guy who's, to me, clearly uh, the handcuff at, at the time of drafts behind a guy like Joe Mixon who um, has gotten hurt, you know, and, oh. and now Bernard's going to return some pretty big value for anybody who either scooped him up off waivers or drafted him that late. So congrats to you, uh, Mr. Tenley. Uh, DJ Chark, let's talk about him uh, a little bit here. He had a big game last week with, uh, with Jake Luton as his new quarterback. Uh, he faces a beat-up Green Bay secondary. Now, it sounds like Kevin King's going to play. Uh, Jair Alexander is doubtful. Um, so, uh, obviously, they, the Packers probably are going to be without their shutdown corner. And their safeties have not really been playing up to, uh, up to snuff so far this season, too. Um, you think that, that DJ Chark is turning a corner? And do you think that, the, you know, given his big game last week, what we think could be a big game this week, that he could end up finishing pretty strong for fantasy owners in 2020? I sure hope so. I think he's, I think he's one of the players I have the most of at receiver, and he's one of the players I was most excited about coming into the season, that's for sure. Um, they have a few pretty good matchups over the next month. Um, and, and I'm – selfishly I'm uh, thankful that uh, Chark should get a little bit better matchup this weekend because I have a lot of shares of him going but uh, I I guess I would say yes I'm pretty optimistic about him because he had a fair amount of volume in in most of the games that he was healthy Um, and he looked good in the in the plays I've seen of his this year so I, I guess I'm hopeful Hopeful is a great place to be as you approach double-digit 
weeks in the FFPC, I see occasionally some teams that have have relaxed and released all hope. And, uh, you know, it, it's a bad time to be in that situation. It's a good time to be John Tinley. I want to know a little bit about tight end. i got a confession to make. I, um, uh, my last football guys team, I, I didn't have uh, Kelsey anywhere. And I had the sixth pick. And I said, this is my only chance to get him. So I'm, I'm going to draft him. And I drafted him, you know, my confession is, Kamara was available at six, and I drafted him. So there's my confession. But I've enjoyed <laughs> having him on the team, and the team's doing well. And it's just, you know, and and the difference between Kelsey and and uh, of course Kittle would have had a fine year if he could have played. But the difference between Kelsey Kittle and, and, and so beyond all of the other tight ends. What has been? You haven't mentioned tight end yet. So what has been your your strategy or your roster tight ends with these successful teams and and based on how special the guys at the top of the position are uh would you embrace that next year would you climb the board higher to pay up for the tight end than you did in 2020 next year I don't know how much higher I can climb the board. I took Kittle in at sixth in one of them, and I, I have a I had a lot of shares of uh, Kittle. I'm still holding him on my bench in case he gets back early. But I, I in uh, FFPC format, I love the uh, the top two tight ends. I, I think half or a third of my teams have one of those two. Um, I spent up a lot Ooh. on those two, and the so, so I'm I'm hurting after. Uh, after Kittle went down, but uh, but I have a I have a couple shares of uh, Kelsey out there still, so I'm 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 still hopeful on that. But next year I'll I'll probably even uh, spend up more. I, I, yeah, I elite range you, you, of running backs. You'll be yelling Kelsey as soon as you get off the plane. I love it. That'd be great. <laughs> Before you even get in the draft room, it's 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 a tight end. So so the team where you took Kittle and you lost him. Uh, how is that team done? How, how is that team? Are you competitive with that team? Uh, that the I think there's about five of them, um, five main events that had Kittle. Um, the one that is uh, there was in the top ten or twenty, I think, is fifteenth or sixteenth right now. But mm-hmm. it's uh, <laughs> it, it's going to be a struggle to stay there. I've got Megan Thomas. Hit. And Hig- yeah, Logan Thomas, Higby, and Hollister are what I'm trying to sort out now. Hey, I can tell you've been looking. That's good. Trying to. Talking with uh, John Tenley, the uh, second place team in the FFPC main event, also has four total teams in the top 100 of the competition heading into week 10. Um, Alan Lazard, the um, the Packers wide receiver, the, the reports I, I saw from Rob Demosky, who covers the Packers for ESPN.com today don't seem too promising for Lazard to come back against Jacksonville, uh, but it sounds uh, pretty likely that he will be in uniform, active, and on the field when the Packers take on the Indianapolis Colts in Week 11. So how likely is it, in your opinion, John, that topping off some top 30 weekly finishes um, uh, going forward uh, for the remainder of the season, given what we saw from him before he got hurt? So the, the Colts are obviously a tough matchup, and the Packers are historically pretty conservative with their players uh, coming off injuries. So I, the first few games, I'm not sure. Um, but Lazard looked real great the first few games, and uh, unfortunately as a Vikings fan, I'm, uh, I find it difficult to admit how good the Packers' offense has looked, but it's, uh, I think they'll have a lot of scoring opportunities, and Lazard has been uh, – I think he'll be a beneficiary of that. You know, uh, the receivers that get introduced coming in and out of the lineups throughout the year can, if you can be patient and wait on them uh, to show themselves, uh, they'll be, you know, you'll be rewarded in, in the FFPC. And I, you know, this question uh, is just, Balky will blow the whistle on me on here because my favorite player he knows is Chase Claypool. And this is just another way. It, it, when I wrote down the question, it looks so much better to me. But it's just another way, a thinly veiled excuse to talk more about Claypool. 
But uh, you know, the Saturday walkthrough, uh, according to the coaching staff over with the with Steelers, is going to look more like practice. If, but let's just imagine if, if Roethlisberger does not go, which I think he will, but if he does not go, uh, Mason Rudolph gets the start. What Steeler receivers would you keep in your lineup if that does happen? I hope it doesn't. But if it does, who would you who would you put out there? I imagine one of them is probably you know, I guess. <laughs> I, I watched so many of their plays last year without Roethlisberger. Quite frankly, I don't know if I would start any of them if I had another choice. <laughs> it was uh, – they're all great receivers. Claypool's a menace, but I – I don't, I don't, I don't think I can do it if uh, if it's not Roethlisberger out there. I, if there's other options, I mean, in some of the deep leagues like like the FFPC, I mean, it's I, I'm sure you'd have to start Juju or uh, Deontay, but it's yeah. it's going to be tough. It's. Did you hear that, Barky? John said Claypool's a menace. <laughs> 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 is he the like um, John? Do you think as we look at, at the Steelers receivers for the remainder of the season with Smith Schuster and, and Claypool and, and Johnson, do you have a, a favorite one? Um, I know what Farrell's is, but do you have a favorite one that you think is is going to be the Steelers receiver to own, or are those uh, waters pretty muddy for you? That is super tricky because I, I, they all look good if you watching the games, they all look good at different times. I, for a top heavy prize pool, like 500 K up top for the main event or the football guys, I I think I would want clay pool because I think he has the most upside, but I'm not sure Deontay has been really good too. So I don't know. I don't know. They're uh, I'd take any of them, I guess. Rich Semini actually um, reported this week that uh, LaMichael Pirine is going to be the featured back for the Jets going forward, the expected featured back uh, for the Jets for the remainder of 2020 to try to see what the Jets have in him. Uh, how much fantasy value does, does he have for FFPC players for the rest of the season, John, and, and things to keep in mind um, that, that Pirine wasn't exactly a first-round pick, the Jets aren't exactly a good team, and he is not uh, exactly saddled with the greatest of head coaches in Adam Gase. Yeah, well, right now, quite frankly, any running back, any starting running back has significant value to me. I've, I'm, I'm bleeding at running back, so there's, I, I'd, I'd love to have some shares of him off waiver wire just to see, just to see if he does get the work. I, I find it hard to imagine that they'll give him as much volume as owners would like, given Gore has been so involved in the coaching schemes previously. But, I mean, he's he's, a start, he's expected to be a starting running back, I guess maybe. I'd, I'd like more shares to have a shot at him. I don't know that I would uh, pop him into the lineup until, I, until they prove they're not going to just give the ball to Frank Gore. That's what I'd like to have a chance, I guess. You said every running back is star- you know every starting running back has value. I-, I agree with that. One of the things I've noticed at the draft though that never seems to work, and I, I I was just trying to think back, and I can't give you any other examples other than the the current one. But you know this year, and, and I don't know how closely they were grouped together by the time we got to Las Vegas, but often here in Kentucky. Uh, I would see that uh, J.K. Dobbins would go off the board, and then Mark Ingram, and or, or vice versa. And they would be real close, uh, maybe one round separating the players. And I've never seen that develop where where both players could get their draft value. And in this year's situation, I don't think even one of them has, has paid back draft value to the drafters. Uh, you know, where are you with this Baltimore backfield? How did you approach it? And, you know, would you play Ingram, uh, you know, this weekend since he's returning? How how would you handle that? Because obviously if, if you've got that player on your team, you invested some draft capital in him, and you might be scrambling. Yeah, that's uh, that's a tough spot. I'm I'm thankful that I I don't think I drafted 
any Ravens running backs across mm-hmm. any of my 250 teams. I, and the main reason I didn't is because I figured if Ingram got hurt, there'd still be some form of timeshare. So I just didn't see the same upside mm-hmm. for Dobbins or even Gus Edwards if there was an injury. And so I, it's tough. There, there's plenty of there's plenty of teams that I would gladly take any of them on, um, especially yep. this week with buys and injuries. But um, I I don't have that difficult decision. I I guess I I wouldn't start Ingram unless uh, unless I had no other choice. Um, Dobbins I probably would, but I I wouldn't be shocked if uh, if he had a bad week either. Just like we say when Second the show week. starts, because no one else was available. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. There's a reason we say it, for sure. Um, second place team in the FFPC main event, John Tenley, uh, joining the show this week. John, a couple of emails here that, that rolled in for you. I want to get to them now. Ed in Millington, New Jersey writes, Hello, John. He's the number 18 receiver right now. Where do you think Justin Jefferson finishes at the position by the end of the season. Good luck the rest of the way. Thank you for the email. Ed in Millington, New Jersey. John, this is uh, near and dear to, uh, to, to your heart with uh, one of your beloved Vikings being the topic of this question. How high is, is Justin Jefferson going to climb up those ranks? Or do you think maybe he falls because he's been overperforming a bit? Well, I, I appreciate the question. I love, uh, I love the Vikings. and Justin Jefferson is... Uh, he is also a menace, much like uh, your dear Claypool. Um, I, 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 uh, I don't know that I think he'll stay in the top 24. Um, he's an incredible athlete and incredible player, but I think if the Vikings could, uh, I, I guess if they had their choice, I think they would run the ball 80% of the time. I don't know whether their defense will allow that, but they seem to have improved on that side of the ball, even with injuries. So, uh, I, he's somebody that I will want to have on my team next year, but I don't, I don't, I wouldn't imagine that he will be top 15, top 25 for most of the games. John, which, which Vikings receiver are you drafting first in 2021 drafts? Are you drafting Jefferson or Thielen um, as the first Vikings receiver off the board? <laughs> that question hurts. Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, ma- I, I imagine it'll be uh, a function of where their uh, ADP is. Um, I can't imagine that Jefferson would ha- would be in the same rounds just because Thielen carries such a name. Uh, I, I imagine I'm, I might not have either where I expect they'll be drafted. I, if they're drafted in like the third through the sixth, I don't know if I'll have any of them. Um, both players are, not a lot. John, both players are subject to the, the whims of that offense. And, you know, with Cousins sometimes throwing the ball as few as 12, 15 times a game. But, man, I, I think Jefferson, he's, he is a – thank you. Jefferson is a junior menace. But I, I tell you what, I'll be, uh, I'll be looking <laughs> for the junior menace. But, um, you know, right behind Claypool, that's, my, that's what I'm doing. There it is. There. Jefferson. All I – all I know is for 2021, all my t- fantasy teams with Justin Jefferson on them are going to be called the junior menaces now, clearly. I, I think that's the only way I can go with uh, fantasy teammates for Justin Jefferson's uh, roster teams. Um, one more email here uh, for you, John. It's from Josh in Boston. Um, this is an interesting strategy question. Um, John, this is my first year playing in the Football Guys Players Championship, and I have a pretty sizable lead over the second-place team in my league in scoring. What's the best strategy to take as far as roster management goes in the league playoffs and that three-week championship round? That is Josh and Boston. John, this is certainly not your, your first uh, dance. When you get um, uh, to week 10 to week 11 and, and you're looking really good to make the league playoffs and potentially the championship round, how, you know, what, what, what things do players need to keep in mind and, and what's the best advice you can give them that they, that they don't screw up their chances for some pretty serious cash? Um, I don't know whether it's correct or not, but I look at the final three weeks as more of like a GPP tournament, like where you're trying to get leverage and you're trying to get exposure to players that not as many will have um, that have upside. So 
Claypool and Justin Jefferson are a bad example because everybody would play them. But somebody that has a lot of upside or single-game upside is somebody I would want to play more of because the prize pool is so top-heavy. And it's you're, you're obviously trying to uh, get first. You're not trying to min-cash. So um, I would certainly be playing somebody like a uh, Jacoby Myers over like a Edelman if it's the same team and they're both healthy. I'd be trying to find somebody I thought, and I don't know if that's a good example, but I'm trying to find somebody that has upside over a floor. And in this case where he's uh, in second place and has a pretty good lead over third, you're very likely to get an auto bid in. So I, I would play the divisional playoffs similar to the way that you would uh, in any other format where you look at your opponent and you're trying to, if you're a favorite, you're trying to play guys with a good floor. If you're a dog, you're trying to play guys with a good upside. I'm, and again, I'm not an expert on any of this. I'm just, that's just my views on it. Oh, I love that. Well, I'll keep that theme alive because this, when I get up on Friday morning, this is what gets me out of bed. This, this is what gets me going. Is the fact <laughs> that I get to ask this question to everyone. And it's, you know, John, I, I know you're going to kill it. I've been so impressed with, with all our guests as how well they've answered and, and given us the answer, you know, guidance on this question. So here it is. And I, with all the intended swagger of a guy who owns 4% of the top 100 in the FFPC, I cannot await your answer. So I'll ask the question where I can finally get to it. All right. Now you have a sleeper and a bust. The sleeper is very, very important to everyone who's struggling to fill that roster. And the bust is the guy that that you wake up on Tuesday morning, you say, why didn't I see that coming? And and I would like you to perform that service of, of telling the players in the FFPC and, and fantasy football across the world, who is your bust? Who's the player that you can usually count on that you can't count on this week? And who is the sleeper and I will tell you that uh, J.D. McKissick is not eligible as a sleeper. So there you go. That's right. Oh, man, that is such a strong lead-in. Um, I don't know that I am an expert in this by any means. Um, I am apprehensive about both Vikings receivers. Um, I hope they do very well, but – um, the Bears have never been uh, super kind to the Vikings. And I am also apprehensive about the Chargers pass catchers. Um, I don't ever like mm. to bet against Keenan Allen because he's always he always proves wrong. He's so good. Um, but Hunter Henry, I would be a little bit more apprehensive about. Um, the Dolphins gave up two touchdowns to tight end last week, and they've been great all season. So I I imagine uh, Coach will have him tuned up. And uh, so I'd be more apprehensive about Hunter Henry. Um, depending on uh, the Bucks corner, what happens there, I'm I'm also a little bit nervous about uh, DJ Moore, but that could be just the fact that I have so many shares of him that have been uh, inconsistent. As far as sleepers go, um I really like uh, Brandon Ayuk and Philip Lindsay, but if we're going uh, deeper than that, I like Mooney and KJ Hamler this week. And there's, yeah. I like both those young Hamler's interesting. I, I, Hamler especially going up against the Raiders. Yeah, that's a nice pick. There's there's two leagues out of I wouldn't say desperation, but like uh, deeper leagues that I'm in where. I had to play Hamler because of bye weeks and, and injuries. Um, so fingers crossed that you're right. And and Farrell, you you know you brought this up um, with John when you asked the question too. Like uh, the 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 guests we have had on for the last month month and a half, um, they've been pretty dialed cool. in on on these sleepers and busts. Uh, so feeling pretty good about John Tenley, uh, especially given that he does own the second place team in the FFPC main event and three other teams in the top 100 as well. John, can't thank you enough for making some time for us this week, talking a little fantasy football. Congratulations on, on how, how well your teams have performed so far and good luck the rest of the way. Thanks for joining us. And, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you much. John Tenley, ladies and gentlemen, the second place team in the FFPC main event. 
uh, as we head into uh, week 10. And, uh, Farrell, three other teams in the top 100, too. Just a, a crazy amount of goodness for John Henley so far in 2020 as far as the main event goes. He's going to be there. I like that guy. He's got staying power. And he warmed up in the show, too. Did you notice? He really got with it. He's... He's. Uh, I, I like the way. I like the way he answered how he handles the end of the year teams, and and uh, he was not. Sh- you know, he's not shy about saying he's going to draft as many tight ends as early as he wants them. You know, he does things the way he wants to do it, and it's paying dividends. That's what everybody should do. Draft the players, get your guys. You know, get your. Yep, guys. get your guys. Indeed, I, I say it all the time, and and I definitely mean it. Um, before we get to uh, to the emails that came in this week. One of the things I wanted to talk about at the top of the show, uh, Hudson Reed brought up in the uh, chat room, and he wants to know, what's the deal? What? I'll do my Seinfeld here. What's the deal with Lamar Jackson? Is he, uh, he wants to know if he's a victim of the predictable schemes from uh, Greg Roman. Is he going to rise or is he going to fall from here on out? And, the, and what he's referring to is Lamar Jackson said that opposing defenses have been, have been calling out plays on the field. Um, it certainly yeah. looked like the Colts last week was was one of those teams that was doing it, and um, and Lamar Jackson obviously is is not being put in the position that he was in 2019, where he was making all these massive plays. Now he's still good, uh, he's still an every week start, but a, a, as sure. far as um, you know, expectations going forward, Farrell, is he going to get back to to you know, 70, 80, 90 percent of what he was last year, or? is what you see, what you get so far with Lamar Jackson for 2020. What's going to, you know, there's so much nuances in, in football and study and coaches. And, you know, first of all, if Lamar had to say that, if he had another opportunity, he wished he probably wish he hadn't said that, you know, it, uh, uh, you take the guy, these, these coaches and, and they'll, you hear about them getting up early before before dawn and staying late, sleeping at the office. And what they're doing is they're watching film. They're not watching new film. They're watching the same film. They're always looking for what they didn't see the first time, the second time, the third time. And, you know, that's been the task that they've had since last year concluded. I, I was visiting a team and, and – uh, I was in the offices and they were watching film of Lamar Jackson and the commentary was, how are we going to stop this guy? You know, what are we going to do? We're not going to stop him. We're going to slow him down. That's exactly what's happened. He's uh, 8.2 yards a rush last year, 6.2 yards a rush this year. Now, not only have, um, not only have they studied Lamar and studied Baltimore uh, offense, uh, throughout the spring and throughout, you know, that they had, they didn't even have OTAs. They spent all their time looking at film. Hell, the benefit of that is that they might've seen something they can do, but you know, Greg Roman, the offense coordinator, he's been in this thing 23 years. He's, he's coached with and against probably 70% of the current coaches in the league. Everybody knows him and knows what he does. Uh you know, in, in an early episode, we talked about how uh, they're being disrupted with with the motion, uh, how they how they key off the motion. You know, it, it's at the point of attack, and I know this is a long answer, Balky, so I'll try to tie it up. But you know, at the point of attack, the Ravens have to play better. Uh, Fluker and Brown, uh, you know, those offensive linemen they will play better. Have you looked at number forty-two, the fullback? Uh, on this team, uh, Richard, I think it is. Patrick, I have Ricard. not. No, I'm not. I'm not familiar. Six foot three, three hundred pounds. Look at him. He was on the field for three hundred plays last year. Fullback, six foot three, three hundred pounds. Uh, they're doing things differently and trying to do it with different personnel sets every week. You know, the best blocker on this team. Nobody drafts him in fantasy ball. He's one of the best football players that you'll ever find, and and I wish they would get the ball to him more often. That's Willie Snead, but he, he's a ferocious blocker. Old Ball State Cardinals, blue collar as you get. This team has the makeup to be successful, and everybody in the league knows where it's coming. Uh, sure, they're going to call out what they think they're going to do. We talked about Paul Horning to start the show. You think in the Packers sweep that the that the, the opposition didn't know it was coming. 
Yeah, you exactly know what's coming. Doesn't mean you're going to stop it. If your players will execute some of the names that I mentioned, this will work. And Lamar's got to make it work. And you know, it's, it's just not it's it's just not that the other team is seeing the plays. They worked hard on that. They're going to disguise some things. They're going to do some different things. Uh, but yeah, we know what's coming, Lamar. Every, that's not going to change throughout the rest of your career. There's no mystery here. Everybody yeah, sees what you're doing. Yeah, and we've seen that. It's not just Lamar Jackson. You know, we've seen plenty of um, of, of players step on the field and and enjoy a lot of immediate success. And then you know, it, you know, once opposing teams know what you're going to do. Now, how do you get around it? How do you beat that? And that's the challenge for a lot of these players. It's a challenge, actually, that's facing one of the receivers in this first email that I want to get to here. This is from Bill in Tawanda, Kansas. Uh, he says, I snagged Jacoby Myers off the waiver wire on Wednesday after his big game. Do you guys think I should start him over DJ Moore this week? Thanks so much. That's Bill in Tawanda, Kansas. This is interesting because Jacoby Myers is a guy that, you know, seemingly came out of nowhere, and he's put together uh, some pretty solid games here, Farrell. Are you willing to give him the nod over DJ Moore in week 10 is the question. I will. I am a ride or die DJ Moore guy the last couple of years. Last mm-hmm. year, he carried me. Uh, this year, he's carrying me down. He's pulling me down. And I'm probably not the best person to answer this question. I, can't, I still can't play Myers over Moore. Maybe that's to my own detriment, but I would still go Moore over Myers this week. Be like the league coaches and go look at the film. September 20th, Tampa Bay Buck, eight catches, 120 yards, D.J. Moore. D.J. Moore uh, makes the plays when you play the top competition when it has to be done. Uh, four passes and uh, two TDs versus the Saints. Uh, D.J. Moore is the player I'm going to play here. Now, Jacoby Myers was frequently um, targeted in the last game. He'll He'll continue to be frequently targeted. He's got good physicality. He he high points the ball. He'll fight the defender for the ball. This is not the matchup that you want uh, for Jacoby Myers and Cam Newton. Uh, that alone uh, makes this an easy DJ Moore uh, selection, despite the fact that our, our guest just said that DJ Moore has an outside shot of being this week's bust. All right, let's go to uh, Carl in Austin, Texas. As the season has gone on, I've wrestled with my tight end choice more and more. Mm. Who would you guys go with this week? Jimmy Graham or Tyler Higby? Um, these guys, uh, these players, uh, Jimmy Graham uh, this week is taking on the Minnesota Vikings, John Tenley's Minnesota Vikings, on Monday night football. Uh, Tyler Higby is going to be facing the uh, Seattle Seahawks um, on uh, Sunday afternoon in Los Angeles. And it's interesting, too, because – Higby said, I don't remember exactly when it was this week, Tuesday or Wednesday, he had that nasty hand injury. He says he's all the way back right now. Uh, I don't know if that necessarily bodes well because they do have a lot of pass-catching options on that team. Um, but you have, if your decision is between Graham and Higby, uh, Farrell, I'm going to go with Jimmy Graham in, in this situation. He's, just, he's getting a lot of targets um, with, with Nick Foles there. I don't you know, necessarily think that Foles spreads the ball around as, as much as Jared Goff probably will. Even though the Seattle uh, defense is nothing to write home about, in fact, maybe the worst pass defense in the NFL from a statistical standpoint. Um, but I just, I just worry about Higby getting the volume. I don't necessarily worry about Graham getting volume anymore this season. You know, there, there's a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a deep uh, uh, grudge held against Jimmy Graham by the FFPC players. So many have been there and tried it and been disappointed over the last few years. There was a little snicker. You can even see it and hear it through the mask, you know, when someone would take Jimmy Graham in the later rounds of the draft. And, you know, there 35 catches later and five touchdowns. He's making one-hand catches in the end zone. It looks to me like Jimmy Graham has come back to football. He knows he's in the shadow of his career, and he's become very, very serious about football again. You know, I'm, this is a hard decision to make. Uh, because of the Rams are coming out of the bye week and because Higby's coming back to health. Higby, a team during the bye week, they take a look at what should be working better, and they try to improve upon that. And this tight end, we all expected more than 22 catches, especially after he had three TDs in the second or third game of the season. Um, and, And I think they will want to, 
I think they will want to build on that relationship between Higby and Goff. This is a perfect team to do it against, Balky. You're right. 363 yards a game the Seahawks give up in passing yards. There's going to be opportunity there. But I'm going to side with you because Graham is on a team that uh, needs him as a red zone target. Uh, The Rams will score uh, outside the red zone against the Seahawks. So this is is what I'm looking at. I'm going to go with Jimmy Graham. But those of you, you know, Tyler Higbee was released by some teams uh, in the FPC, yeah. that was that was terribly that was a, that was a terrible rookie mistake, and uh, you're going to uh, probably regret that um, when you when you see Higby's stat lines from these upcoming uh, games in the next few weeks. Yeah, and and too, I mean, everybody we had on the show in in January and February, where we're speaking with the people that won all this money in the championship round uh, with the mm-hmm. FPC in 2019. What did they all have in common? They all had Tyler Higby in their lineup. Sue just crushed it in the championship round. Maybe he'll do it again this year, too. I certainly wouldn't want to, wouldn't have want to cut him um, based, on, uh, based on that knowledge for sure. Um, Matt in Providence, Rhode Island. Dear Steve and Jim, Tom Brady should bounce back this week, but Jared Goff has the plus matchup. Yeah, we just talked about it. Uh, which quarterback is the right play for me? You guys are the best. Thank you, Matt in Providence, Rhode Island, for the email. So Brady versus Goff this week, Farrell, and, and, you know, we saw Brady embarrassed on national TV. He gets the Carolina Panthers in Carolina this week. And Jared Goff, again, at home against the Seattle Seahawks. Which way are you leaning here? I, I, my, you know, my inclination is to say Goff, but I could totally see Brady rolling into Carolina, who, by the way, doesn't have a great pass defense either. Uh, Brady rolling into Carolina and, you know, throwing like five touchdowns or something, and, and you know, by halftime, just because of what happened on Sunday night. So I think I'm going to say golf, but I might regret that. They fixed that. Uh, Tampa gets this fixed against Carolina, and yes, you're right. Brady could have one of those breakout touchdown games. Now, I, th- I have a little more respect for Carolina's defense than – most people do. I've got them at 240 yards per game in passing yardage. I'll have to check that number. But I, there's a player I want everyone to watch, uh, Jeremy Chen, number 21 uh, for Carolina. He will be, I think, uh, the defensive uh, rookie of the year for this conference. And, um, you know, I think he'll cause some problems. He'll be a fun player to watch. And SIU Saluki, uh, Balky, give a, give a shout-out to uh, – our old boy, Doc Hakey. But now, Goff is a natural to throw four touchdowns against Seattle. That's kind of what you would expect. And Goff has just as many tools to, to work with, especially a team which suffers in pass coverage, but has a very explosive offense of its own. This is going to be a real shootout between the Rams and Seattle, and it's a big, big game for both teams because the team that wins this uh, maybe the team that wins the division, if both of them can keep Arizona down. Yeah, again, Rams out of the bye. Rams are my team here. Golf in the lineup, Brady to the bench. What a lucky man you are if you've got both these quarterbacks on your team. Yeah, uh, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, moving on to, let's go to Ron and, oh, Chico, California. Aaron Rodgers' old stomping ground. Uh, hiya, Farrell and Balky. No Todd Gurley for me this week. So I have to decide between Philip Lindsay and Devin Singletary and M. Torn. Can no. you help? Ron in Chico, California. Now, this is interesting. Actually, one of the topics we, I, I talked with Clay Corcoran about this week was the possibility that the Bills' depth chart at the running back position is flipped and that, uh, indeed, it is uh, Zach Moss as the starter over Devin Singletary. Uh, Philip Lindsay, you know, he, he's looked pretty good when, when he's gotten in the game. The problem is they, they keep giving more touches to Melvin Gordon. Uh, so for Lindsay owners, that's been very frustrating. But if you had to pick one here as a bye week fill-in for Todd Gurley, are you going with Lindsay or Singletary? I, uh, by the way, I should let everybody know here too. Um, Devin Singletary is at Arizona. Uh, and then um, Philip Lindsay is actually taking on the uh, Raiders, Farrell's Raiders, uh, in Las Vegas this week. So my inclination is, is I want to start as many bills and Cardinals as I can this week, Farrell, mm-hmm. because I think that there's going to be a ton of points put up in that game. Uh, I, I think I'm going to say Singletary over Lindsay here. I'm going to go the other way, but this is a very, very tough one. I'll, I'll say Singletary. If you think back to week three and four, when he played the Rams and the Raiders, those were his double digit games. 
he was very, you know, he was very explosive. He ran the ball well. He caught the ball well. They don't give him the opportunity to do that. He's on the field a lot. So is Moss, but uh, Moss is not uh, Moss is not producing for fantasy players either. It's it's very difficult when you <laughs> when you have a starting running back. And last week, Balky he registered one yard rushing on two carries. He caught three balls. It's very difficult to talk about that player. I've got him on almost every team, and and he's costing me. Uh, dearly. Lindsay, I absolutely love. And whatever you give him to do, whether it's 30%, 40%, if you could truly get to a 50% share with Gordon, he's going to make it pay. Seven rushing TDs are what the Raiders have given up. You get in the red zone, you can move the ball on the ground against the Raiders. Um, I really like Lindsay here. I expect him also in this game to catch some balls, what he has not been doing. Um, uh, I like the potential of of a shootout, uh, Denver and the Raiders. You know, Raiders have not addressed uh, the defensive side of the ball. If I were some, if I were the Raiders, I'd be playing some of those receivers at defensive back. Try to get an interception. The uh, they they haven't addressed that, and I think the uh, I think Denver will take it take advantage of it. Quarterback lock here would be a sneaky play too. Yeah, no, that's that's actually a good point. Uh, I didn't think about that. Um, final email that we will get to tonight before we call it a show is from uh, Lenny and Charlotte. Not sure what I should do with my final football guys flex this week. John Brown in a supposed shootout against Arizona or J.D. McKissick, who is getting targeted seemingly every other play for Washington. I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> hey, thanks, Lenny. We appreciate that. That is Lenny and Charlotte. Okay, so... If you have to flex out uh, one of these guys, by the way, both of them are pretty decent options this week, too. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, John Brown or J.D. McKissick. We already talked about Brown's matchup. McKissick on the Washington football team is at Detroit this week. And, Farrell, McKissick got 14 targets last week. I don't know if he gets 14 again, but if it's close, um, you know, McKissick is going to be a, a great find uh, for fantasy owners this week. Again, you know, not necessarily doing a ton. But the fact that Alex Smith loves checking down to him is going to do wonders for his fantasy value. Joshua Dobby McKissick. I, I, I love this guy. Uh, the, uh, and he shares the fact of his mother's maiden name for his middle name. I got stuck with Farrell. He got stuck with Dobby. I think he got probably the worst. I'm going to call him Dobby if I ever see him. He's an Arkansas State Red Wolf. Uh, they used to be the Indians. Now he's with the football club and they used to be something like that. I guess, I guess uh, controversy follows JK everywhere, but you know, this is a this is a grudge revenge game for JK. The Lions let him go. He, uh, he gets new life there with the football club and his return to Ford field. I just love it. You throw the 14 targets out. There was one game where he was targeted a couple times. He wasn't on the field much. He's still at six to eight targets a game. He's got a really good first step. He can plant his foot and change direction. Uh, Detroit is, 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 you know, the rushing defense against Detroit, if you want to see what's happened, you can look at some, some of the better backs in the league have done against them. Uh, J.D., it's, it's just going to be. It's just going to be fabulous. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited about the opportunity for this player. I think he's 20 points this weekend. He scored three um, – he scored three passing, uh, receiving TDs in his career, one with rushing. I think I've got those numbers right. I might have them flipped. Either way, I think he gets one of each. I see two touchdowns for this player that hasn't found the end zone much, and so this is going to be a big, big game for him. Getting the commission's stamp of approval is J.D. McKissick this week, and I'm with you. I, I would I would play him over John Brown. Um, I always like to say, too, in these coin flip ones, um, you know, you don't have to make the decision until Sunday. I think eventually, um, you know, you'll, you'll find which way you're leaning the, the more you think about it. And, um, you know, I know the old adage, think long, think wrong. But sometimes I mm-hmm. think when you marinate on these decisions, uh, the, the answer will come to you. And, and I always say go with your gut. It's your team. Um, do, you know, we'll, we'll try to give you our best advice, but it is your team. And, and make sure you're doing uh, what you think is, is right for it, what you think is going to happen. Uh, Farrell, once again. Great show tonight. We got we got a chance to catch up with the second place team and the FFPC main event. I bid you good luck in week ten. Thanks for hanging out with me and, and we'll do this again next Friday, man. I'll be looking forward to it, Balky. Thank you for having me.
You can follow him on Twitter at Jay Farrell Elliott. He is the commissioner of the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship. He is the uh, host of the KFFSC podcast, which you can get anywhere podcasts are found. Uh, great stuff there from uh, from Farrell. Uh, Sean Ligon does the game day podcast with him, the KFFSC preview game day podcast on Mondays and Thursdays. That's always good. Um, a lot of great stuff uh, being churned out there, and hopefully we churned out some pretty good stuff tonight. Uh, I do want to thank John Tenley, Farrell Elliott, the FFPC, Rob Bryson, of course, each and every one of you. As a reminder, Clay Corcoran on the High Stakes Lowdown, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Uh, fun conversation with Clay this week as we got a chance to catch up after his big 20, uh, 2017 almost auto-drafted overall champion. What a story it would have been. Still an incredible story. Check that out. Give it a listen. Rotoviz.com slash podcast. All right, so that's going to do it this week. We will indeed be back next week, next Friday, 10-9 Central, with the Week 9 Football Guys Players Championship leader, Josh Falcone. He will join Farrell and I and uh, tell us all about how he managed to to the top of the FPC after nine weeks of play. Uh, enjoy the rest of the weekend. I know we got off to uh, a start on Thursday night with a lot of fantasy points uh, from, uh, from the Titans and Colts. Hopefully it continues for you this week. Hopefully the ball bounces your way. Uh, your weekend. This has been another out. episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by MyFFPC.com. It was broadcast live and heard around the world. Balky and Farrell will be back next week with more analysis, interviews, and advice from guests much smarter than they are. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you again next week. As a reminder, that was Frederick the Younger on the um, Frederick the Younger, excuse me, on the uh, outro music there for the HSFF Hour. You can catch all their music FrederickTheYounger.com, QuietHollers.com uh, does the intro. Check it out, QuietHollers.com. Two awesome bands based out of Louisville, and oh by the way, our co-host Farrell Elliott uh, manages both of them. Uh, thank you so much for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoy the games in in Week Ten. Be uh, be safe, have fun. And uh, we'll do this again next Friday. Thanks for listening, everybody.